Hello and welcome to the Influential Executive Podcast. This is Alexander and today I present to you my conversation with Tony Crabb. I've been trying to get Tony on the podcast for quite a while already. I love his book, Busy. In his book, Busy, he wakes up people to the pitfall of multitasking and running around from meeting to meeting instead of just actually, yeah, manage your thoughts, manage your attention, take control and think about the purpose of what you're trying to achieve before you just start running, working, 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 working. Now, Tony Crabb, he calls himself a business psychologist and he works with tons of businesses, huge corporates. He speaks on large stages. And today I have the privilege to spend an hour speaking with Tony. We speak about how to give feedback, how to share perspectives. We speak about what attention really is, about positive thinking, negative thinking, how to work with this. And we spoke about what Tony learned from him playing ping pong. That's it. I wish you a lot of fun, a lot of inspiration. This is my interview with Tony Grant. Tony, welcome to the Influential Executive Podcast. Really nice to be here. I've seen you once on stage in The Hague in the Netherlands, where you spoke about the busy life we're all leading. And you became an expert at this topic of productivity, attention management, because you are a business psychologist. I never heard of anyone say I'm a business psychologist. So can you please explain me what does that mean? Yeah. I mean, first of all, was that was that the one where my wife and daughter were at in the theater? Ooh, I think yes, it was for School of Life. And it was a big theater. Yeah, big theater in The Hague, um, under the umbrella of School of Life. And I do yeah. Remember you mentioning something about your wife and daughter being in there, seeing yeah. daddy do his big show. And, exactly. Yeah, that, yeah, that was a really nice night for me for that. Um, so, um, so yeah, business psychologist. Well, look, I'm, I'm a qualified occupational psychologist. So that's the, you know, after my, my first degree and then my second degree in, in occupational psychology, technically I'm an occupational psychologist. But you know, over the years, I've um, I've realised most of the work I do is with business. I guess I'm quite commercial in my outlook, and so it felt like business psychologist was a just a more accurate description. Occupational psychologist sounded a little bit boring. Uh, yeah, or yeah, a bit like occupational therapy or whatever. And it just it, it felt like because really, I, I look at you know, behavior, emotions, um, and how people think in organizations is a way of improving how people feel, but also how people perform in, in businesses. So now, interestingly, one of the things I'm exploring at the moment is to actually change my title to, um, to the attention psychologist. Um, mm -hmm. It actually, as I've following busy in my further research, but if I look at where my work is leading more and more and more. It's getting more specific into how we harness best attention in organizations. So 
again, since I made up the title business psychologist, I, I, I asked maybe I can just make up the title attention psychologist. Yeah, I can imagine. Yeah, and I love that you uh, draw the focus from, uh, from time management to attention management, something that's close to my heart as well. Um, five and a half years ago, I wrote and self-published a book called Get Rid of Stress in the Office. And oh, nice. It comes from a similar observation that you made. You know, I was in the office and I saw people like my peers, colleagues, I saw them running around from meeting to meeting, stack of folders under their arm, looking important, speaking the language and not getting 20% done of what I got done in half the time. Just yeah. like every time in meetings, I realized that they're focused on completely the wrong things. They're focused on mimicking others, saying what they think others want to hear, instead of looking at what is the goal, what is my purpose, what are we achieving here, and what is the best next step. Now, yeah. how many years will it take before the world gets this? Yeah, well, look, it's, it's starting to happen, but it's slow. I think, I think it's fair to say when I, when I wrote the book first and I started to talk about this attention management thing, um, I think the people that got interested first were people I call serial self-developers. You know, the people that are first to buy new books and kind of, you know, maybe like yourself, really kind of into the whole self-development and self-help game. And then after a while, I started getting increasing calls from HR departments because they saw the, you know, the relevance of this and they, and they found, it, found it kind of an interesting way of addressing some of the feedback they were getting around work-life balance but in a more business-focused way. But now I'm getting increasing calls from you know, organizations who are really thinking about crumbs. We're really struggling with this thing around attention. We're really struggling with how do we, our people are just so swamped and, and you know, doing so many micro-tasks. How do we actually get them to focus and think properly again? So it's, it's starting to happen as the language is sort of filtering through um, through the business world. So, I mean, you know, I did a project recently with Microsoft in the Netherlands where they wanted to reimagine their culture around attention. Um, and it helped because they were rebuilding the office at the time. And so we did a really nice piece of work there to help them to, to think about what a culture harnessing around attention would, would look like. Oh, cool. And actually, what's been nice is they're going out and advocating for that in lots of other organizations now. So it's, I think it's starting to happen, but it's, it'll be a slow burn. And actually, the next book I'm working on is very much around going deeper into what that shift really looks like. Yeah. I, uh, I, I love that story. And you're 100% right. With me, it started from a personal development uh, place. You know, I, I just realized there's a lot that's being expected of me. In that moment, I was 23 years old, working for Accenture, and I was leading a team of 18 people. They were all older than me. They all wanted things, and it was new for me working in an office. So, so much was coming at me, 120 emails per day. I was working 10, 11 hours a day, and I realized, do I want the rest of my career to be like this? <laughs> no way. <laughs> Fortunately, I already discovered that you can do and become anything you want. All you need is find the expert, do what the expert says, repeat, repeat, repeat until it's integrated. 
So for me, it was, for example, Brian Tracy, Tony Robbins. You know, they, they gave me this first nuggets of time management. And then I started to understand the underlying principles of what was going on. What I really realized a bit later down the line, when I got the whole time management planning to-do list thing down, and I started to think about attention management and really leveraging the power of my mind, mm. it was more than anything about the power of asking the right questions. Mm. Once I started to view business and my own performance in the light of which questions can I ask about this topic at hand, mm. that was yeah. a superpower. Yeah. No, I think I touched on it in the in the book. But there's a there was that famous study where they they looked at the journey of Nobel Prize laureates had taken to make their great breakthrough and business innovators, and they said the, the real turning point was when they identified the right question to ask. Um, you know, the solution came easy, but it was once you figure out the right question, the solution sort of happens. And um, and I think that's the right question, both the right question to ask of others, other experts other people that you work with, other people that you trust, but it's also the right question to ask of yourself um, to kind of drive the focus that's gonna, that's gonna move you on to the next level. But yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I've been a big believer in questions for quite a few years now. Yeah, it's, it's the questions that steer your attention. And, it, and, it, and I just, you know, I, I'm constantly fighting back at organizations at this, this old saying that kind of don't come to me with a problem, come to me with a solution. Um, it, it's just absolutely the wrong mindset. What managers and leaders should be doing is come to me with problems. I need to understand the problems and the questions and the challenges. I don't want a solution because there's many solutions, but come to me with the big questions because that, that's where leaders need to lean in. Yeah, yeah, you're you're taking me back on a trip through memory lane. I remember that they asked me to take over this team that was in complete chaos, and the team leader was just uh, fired, and the client was angry, and the mailbox was full, and tons of complaints. And I remember the first thing I did was ask the team, "What is most energy draining for you? Which procedures are just a total disaster?" that's it so we're gonna fix those first yeah yeah nice because you know you're just starting with the stuff that everyone knows we're every you know there's such a lot of mindlessness in the way we work and you know loads of research around that that kind of we just go into habits and we have these patterns of behavior and and i think that's it's a great question for any new manager or leader to take on is what's not working What's sapping you? What's sapping your will to live in this in this business? Um, and, and then you know, and it just creates in itself that creates a lot of energy um, because you're starting to address the stuff that's just been there for ages, but suddenly you're giving people permission to start addressing it. Yeah. Well, there there is a question that has helped me a lot. Like right now, my life has completely changed when I decided to become an entrepreneur uh, two and a half years ago now. Um, it's a whole different way of life compared to being an employee and now I find that more than anything the questions that help me is what works and what didn't work 
as an entrepreneur, you're figuring it out as you go. Like all you can do is experiments and reflect on the experiments and, and just continue to do more of what works and less of what doesn't work. And I found that as, as ad hoc as it sounds, it is the most efficient and effective route. Yeah, no, I agree. Constant, you know, I'm a, a huge believer in a growth mindset is constantly looking for, um, for throwing yourself into situations where that are going to challenge you, but then to be really intentional about learning from them and getting feedback from them um, as a way of, and which one of my values is, is learning. And I know, I, I just notice it in myself, my levels of energy at times when I'm not actively learning, um, not just information, but kind of about me or about, you know, you know, the, my approach to work or me as a parent or whatever. I just notice I just haven't got as much va-va-voom. Um, so yeah, so this, this, this pursuit of learning and growth, I think is, isn't just a business and let's face it, we, we see it, you know, it's one of the, it's, it's going to be one of the critical drivers of success over as we go further into the fourth industrial revolution. And, and it's just, I just notice it myself. I just have less vibrancy when I'm not actually learning. Yeah. 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 I feel the same. And, um, yeah, I'm like this whole personal development thing for me personally, it started 11 and a half years ago. Since then I've always made it my top priority, regardless of what I was doing, I was focusing on who am I being and which experiments am I doing today? What did I read yesterday that I'm applying today? And, as all personal development, this, that path eventually leads to the path of spirituality, to, to the bigger picture of who am I, who are we, what's going on over here. And the topic of attention, it, it comes very close to, to some spiritual notions of what's mm. really going on in this world. Mm. So what is your definition of attention? Like, what is that? Definition of attention. Um, God, that's a good question. Um, so, it, I guess it's the, uh, I've never tried to define it, which is, which is a strange thing given I talk about it all the time. Um, I think about attention as being the, it, it's the, well, I think about attention as having a number of dimensions. Um, and historically, I've talked about three major direct dimensions. Um, the first is attention's got is like a flashlight. It points in different directions. So it's got a direction, that's the first dimension of it. Um, the second is it's got a it's got an intensity. Um, so you might call that the the depth of attention. So there's a there's a kind of an intensity and so you know we, we can focus on we can point at one thing and i'm looking at a phone over there but i'm not really giving it a lot of attention so even though i'm looking at it my depth of attention is somewhat you know completely different to if i'm completely immersed in a great conversation or you know a big question and then it's got a duration which is the length of time it lingers on any given topic and you might think of you know two days one way you've had major chunks of attention where it's really lingered in depth on things where it's just bounced backwards and forwards no matter how hard you try and concentrate you're still moving rapidly 
when, it, when I come to think about attention, I think of, of it at an individual level, at a collective level, and then at a lifestyle level, shall we say. So there's kind of, you know, individually, there's our ability to focus on individual tasks with depth for periods of time. That's crucial when it comes to getting individual work done. There's then how do we collect, how do we harness collective attention? So how do we really get into amazing conversations and meetings? We, we've all been there at terrible meetings where, you know, actually we're just killing the attention of everybody in that meeting. So, so there's something about surfacing the kind of the curiosity in a group to have amazing conversations or to get great work done. Um, and then also there's, a, there's a, another piece which is around how do we think about attention in, in a way that an athlete would, if you like, in terms of how do we harness and manage our, our attention so we can perform effectively at work. And that involves the way our practice outside of work, it involves time away from screens, it involves a bunch of that kind of stuff. Yeah, meditation. Meditation, absolutely. Yeah, huge. Well, one thing uh, that I found really helpful in the mastermind group I'm running, so win mastermind, we have a set of principles, our 10 plus one intentions, that set the stage for what we expect of each other and how we communicate with each other. And one of the 10 plus one intentions is we choose to focus only on the positive. And that creates such a nice dynamics where like complaining is like, it's just not there. It doesn't exist when we're together. And even negative words, you hardly hear them. So what happens is the conversations are always focused around what did work? What can we do? Which building blocks do we have in our tool belt? And so suddenly our focus is shifted from everything that annoys us, you know, that we hear about at the coffee machine, to the infinite field of possibilities, the beautiful solutions we are creating together. Yeah. No, and um, I mean, there's a guy in the Netherlands. Um, oh, um, oh, what's he called? He, he founded Om Duncan. Om Duncan. Om Duncan. Ah, yeah, yeah, beautiful movement. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, and his, his view, you know, when it comes to creativity, is exactly in line with that thinking. Is there aren't problems, there are just um, great possibilities, if you like. Um, and he would say it better than me, but kind of. Um, yeah. Anyway, I, th I think that, I think there's a lot to be said for, um, and I think sometimes when it comes to um, entrepreneurs, there's a lot of people say we have to fail more often, um, and there's often a lot of focus on failing because it, obviously it catches headlines and stuff. But, but um, I think if you if instead of talk about failing so much, because failing still has negative connotations, etc., it's about growth and learning. You get into a different conversation because which is you know, um, which I think is more helpful. Yeah, yeah. And you, when you really start to pay attention, you feel that the word learning comes with a completely different energy than failing. We yeah. should fail more often. I mean, I, I feel a lack of energy there. And when it's replaced with, we should experiment more often, or we should learn more often, then, ah, it's a little energy boost. Yeah. And even, even so small words can really help. I mean, I know there was, there was some neuropsychology research recently that talked about the, 
the difference in the way people respond when hearing, you know, when the, the kind of gut response we have when someone says, can I give you some feedback? Um, you know, it's kind of like, it's yeah, sure. <laughs> kind of the fight or flight kind of, you know, the, the threat response kicks in. Um, but actually, if you, if you start talking about, you know, talking about perspectives, um, you know, I want to share a perspective on, on that situation. Suddenly it's kind of, somehow it's less judgmental. Somehow it kind of gets, speaks to, look, I have no view that this is the, this, you know, this is right or wrong. It's my perspective and I share it to put along your side, alongside your perspective and then see what you want to do with it. So it's kind of, I think sometimes, um, language when it comes to how do we enable and empower the people around us can make a big difference. Yeah, I, I believe so too. And actually it's been, um, almost two years ago and I was in Los Angeles at a business conference and over there I met a lady and she wrote the first ever book in the world, as far as we know, with only positive words. Yeah. And she does that too because she believes in the power of words. She says, thoughts attract, words create. So pay attention to the words you speak because negative words you speak is like, yeah, that's, that's what you ask for. So I started to pay attention a lot to what comes out of my mouth and being aware of almost saying negative words and then replacing them with something positive, it, it creates this whole new new space, this whole new realm of thought. It, it's yeah. very interesting and I'm still learning it. I'm still improving. I yeah. do feel that this is something that's going to stay close to me for a long time. So how does that, because one of the things I've, I'm reflecting on increasingly is, um, how can I say this? Positive psychology going too far. Um, and the kind of endless positivity that, that, that comes up. And in, in doing so, um, devalidating that's probably not a word, I've just made it up. But devalidating doubt, worry, anxiety, um, fear. Um, and, and if you think, if I think about some of my um, biggest insights in life, um, biggest turning points, the teachers for me at those moments have been not positive in that, the, I mean, the, the outcome has been hugely positive, but the, the thing that's led to the deep reflection has been doubt, anxiety, you know some of the should we should we say some of the the negative emotions uh, do do some um, massively over focused on the negative side on the problems and etc um, and I think as a consultant the risk is sometimes you over focus on the on the problems um, and so I, I'm a huge believer in the value of positive and. Uh, we have to be mindful not for the pendulum not to sway too far because there's also 
richness that comes from, shall we say, the dark side. Yeah, interesting. I've been thinking about that a lot as well. And, you know, of course, there's a big risk in embracing positivity and thereby pushing away everything like negative emotions, for example. Mm. Um, many, keep, many people keep themselves from expressing negative emotions, myself included, for many, many years. And I'm still learning again to also let that energy flow and be there. Mm. And that's very unhealthy. There's even studies that show that practically 95% of all diseases can be traced back to negative thoughts. Mm. Yeah. Um, but, so, but we, I, think, I, think, I think maybe the distinction is, is around, because um, we know bottling up. Um, so, so spiraling endlessly on negative thoughts, which is what a lot of us do, is really unhelpful. But also denying those negative thoughts or kind of bottling them up um, and kind of saying, you know, not accepting them is also very helpful, very unhelpful. Um, so it, it's the, probably the balance to strike here is acknowledging them and then moving forward positively, if you like. So seeing them as a teacher, seeing them as, that's interesting. I'm feeling really anxious about that. What does that mean? That's interesting. I'm really angry about that situation. What does that mean? Um, as opposed to observing them, to your point about, when well, you talk about meditation, but it's not mindful but then responding in a positive way yeah that's a great way of looking at it and it all starts from this important notion that we are not our thoughts yeah. we are the observer of our thoughts and once you recognize that then it's just like why is this record playing in my head it, like it's interesting to know and I'm going to put up a different record now um, and, and I think that that's also the link to attention is deep down all we are is, is the observer. And what does the observer observe? Well, the thing that the attention is pointed on. So as a humanity now starting to speak about attention management, we, business life becomes more and more integrated to like with what's really going on. The one thing uh, you said when speaking about um, positivity, negativity is it is not useful. And I think that that is the thing that triggers me. It's like any negative thought, any fearful thought, it's not useful. It's a waste of energy because negative things, they don't exist. It's not there. It's not a thing. It's just the absence of positive like on the deepest fundamental level. Once I understood that, I realized all negativity is a waste of energy. So it's not useful. So whatever you're thinking about, shift it to positive thinking so you can actually solve it. So actually, actually improve the situation. Yeah, I'm not sure I agree with you there, Alexander. Um, the, in, terms of, in terms of my own um, views, as I said, I... I I think rumination on stuff uh, and a record playing for a long time is unhelpful. Um, but I'm quite a, 
I'm quite a positive person by personality. I tend to be glass half full rather than. Um, and so in some respects, it takes a lot of inspection for me to listen to, you know, to listen to the voices of doubt, of concern, of anxiety. Uh, and I, obviously I get them, but it's kind of, it's not necessarily front and foremost. But, but as I said, I said before, I, I found some of my big lessons in life have come through, a, through paying attention to some of those. So I, I think it's not useful to dwell, but, but I think there is, I think, I think sometimes there is, we get so caught up in the froth and the fury of life um, and kind of racing to do things. Sometimes when there's a niggling doubt in the back of your mind, that's worth paying, paying attention to. I, 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 what, one way I've, I've often said is when people, people often talk about, I've not had a midlife crisis or, you know, I turned 30 and I didn't have any, any problems with that. And you could argue that's lucky, that's good, maybe because the life's good. But you could say it's a lack of self-awareness because, you know, actually maybe major life, life um, stages are nature's way of allowing us to reflect on what the lesson should be that we take forward into our next decade, for example. Um, so, and, and I know, for example, particularly my turning 40, that the, the reflections that came from that period, from the reflect, feeling weird before turning 40, were major enablers of the life that's come afterwards. Um, so I tend to, when, when there's a sort of, I've, how can I say this? When I find there's, I'm feeling just a bit off or there's something going on, I tend to create space in my life to try and figure out what that is. Um, because otherwise, my activity and my natural positivity is crowded out. So anyway, I, 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 I'm not saying this to challenge you, I'm just sort of sharing something that just personally I've found has helped me, but I think maybe it's, it comes on, it, it depends on personality, if you like. Yeah, it's perspective. Yeah, and, uh, perspective, and, a, a, exactly, nice yeah. use. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I'm all with you. I'm, I'm all with you on that. I see these, you know, voices of doubt, of worry. Of course you stop and pay attention to it because you realize they're negative there's something going on there it's a red flag it's a red flag hello something to be fixed here so create some space take a step back look at what's going on and think positively about what can i do to address this exactly what can i learn from this what can i do and how do i move forward yeah yeah super powerful because as long as you keep going, you have an energy leakage. It's like rowing a boat that has a hole in it. <laughs> First fix the hole. And, and I think part of it, you know, comes to, you know, in, in busy when I talk about, um, I make this distinction between kind of busy attention, which is this sort of crazy, frantic, racing, rushing, cramming, multitasking, and then sort of alternative which is really focused attention on the problems and the conversations that matter. 
The third state that I missed out was reflection, not doing something, not doing a task, but kind of in silent reflection or going out for a walk and kind of, you know, mind wandering. Um, and that's really crucial. And actually, in some respects, time off task in reflection, in you use the word meditation, whether it's kind of meditation or whether it's just meditation in a kind of, in a more, you know, ambling and reflecting kind of way. That space for doing that has been squeezed out of our lives even more from focused, even more than focused attention because what do we do? We have five minutes spare, but when we're waiting for a bus, the phone comes out. We, you know, we, we constantly kind of, we fill every moment and that kind of time to listen to those quiet voices, those subtle, um, subtle cues in how you're feeling you know, and, and I find that personally, I need to almost make conscious time to be with those noises. Yeah. Yeah. Creating space. As you said, that's, uh, that's a big challenge because uh, there's a fight going on for our attention. All marketing is one big fight for attention. Every website you visit, there's stuff blinking and pop-ups and everybody wants a piece yeah. of your attention. The only person who can really take back control is us, ourselves. And it comes from an over-narrow interpretation of what productivity is. Because I think if we, you know, I even hear lots of people talk about productivity when it comes to their own life. Well, that was a productive weekend because of, you know, the stuff they achieved in, the, in their weekend. And, and um, as opposed, to, and we sort of, we then undervalue time where we achieve absolutely nothing. You know, and actually, the times when we're doing nothing um, are going to be some of the greatest providers of insight, of wisdom, of uh, of creativity. And it, so, it's just allowing that kind of unproductive, unactive time to be protected in our lives. Did you and know entrepreneurs? It's really important as well because how many entrepreneurs? get so focused on executing on their business and on kind of growing their business and kind of, and all of a sudden realize they just haven't sat back and thought about it. In the Netherlands, we have a word for that. It's Nixon. Effe lekker Nixon. Just nicely do nothing. Yeah. It's a verb. Yeah. Do nothing. How do you spell it? Um, in Dutch, it's N-I-K- S E N. Nice. Do nothing. Yeah. Yeah. In the English language, I don't think that exists. I don't think it does. Funny. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah exactly. That says a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it does. Well, I mean, in the Netherlands, uh, there's plenty of, of hard work and stress as well. But at least we have no, this word to remind us of how nice it is. Just do nothing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I remember that Nixon. There's there's one thing you said about reflection that uh, got me to reflect on the past, especially half year of my life as well. One huge source of reflection besides my meditation and journaling has been meaningful conversations with people I trust. Mm. And especially business friends. So business friends, I call, are people who are also entrepreneurs and who 
and we treat each other as friends. So yeah. we speak both about business and personal life with each other. They know that I'm building a business and as opposed to regular friends, they don't get sick and tired of me talking about my business all the time. But they also know my personal life. So they understand me as a whole. And now I have people who I can check every thought with. This is going on. This is what I'm thinking. What do you say? You know, mirroring my thoughts like a mental mirror. And that's been massive. It's been so helpful. Yeah. No, because I mean, because th there's multiple benefits there, aren't there? They just, it just, you know, I, mean, I, I know it going back as far as Freud, just they recognize the value of just the talking cure, just the very act of expressing something helps you get more clarity over it. So, is you know, so the very act of explaining to your friends is a clarification piece in itself, but you're also getting different perspectives. You're, it's also just a space that allows you time to kind of to, to reflect and wonder about something. Um, so now hugely powerful um, and kind of having, having some diversity in, in the people that you go to that, that you can share those thoughts with is, is really, is super helpful. Yeah. It's like a superpower because it's a generator of new ideas. And I always say it only takes one idea to revolutionize a business. So yeah creating space to actually generate such ideas. It's vital. Yeah. And how often do we, when we're feeling the pressure of work, these activities, whether it's silent reflection, whether it's a conversation just to mull over something, just to kick around some ideas, they seem unproductive. They seem somehow inefficient. And yet the stuff that they can generate is of a different order of quality often than, than an extra 15 minutes at the desk grafting away. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I think part of, I used to play ping pong um, and, and I used to play, you know, and I was, me and my brothers used to play ping pong. We used to play really fast with lots of, you know, really thumping over and smashing the ball. And we looked really impressive. And then I met a guy and played a guy who killed me. And because he could play really fast, but he could also, at, at whenever he chose to, make it really slow, put loads of spin on it. And that ability to switch speed at will was, you know, it used to kill me. But I think that's what we have to get better at in our lives and work, is, be, is being intentional about what... Because, I mean, there are times when we need to get stuff done. We just need to execute with pace, with vigor, with energy, with focus. But there are also times when we need to be deeply inefficient, when we need to wallow in things, where we need to be diverse. I've been doing some work recently. There's a lot of research over the value of check-ins, human personal check-ins at the start of meetings, just saying how we are, what we're feeling, what's distracting us. And, you know, there's a lot of work from helicopter industries and, and, and surgical teams about the value of that. Um, and, and also there's all that research over the value of small talk in organizations. Um, and, and so, and if you look at, even just take a meeting, for example, you know, the, the, nearly every organization I work with, if, if they say, oh, this is a terrible meeting, how can we make it better? What do they do? They introduce a stronger agenda, introduce more objectives, and try and identify more actions as a result. And that's fine if your primary goal of that meeting is execution. 
But what about innovation? What about exploration? What about learning? And those goals, those things that make a lot of meetings better, reduce innovation, reduce learning, reduce exploration. So I've been kind of encouraging organizations to think about, is this a, a goal-focused meeting? Or is this a wandering around, wallowing, building relationship kind of meeting? Um, because the way you structure those meetings, if you want to kind of go into expiration, you've got to build psychological safety. You've, so you want to have lots of kind of conversation at the start about how everyone's feeling, et cetera, et cetera. And then go into a really exploratory meeting where blah, blah, blah. If it's around goal execution, it's a fundamentally different kind of thing. So I think this tension between fast and slow, this kind of this intentionality to be really playful with, am I going to go faster, you know, or am I going to go slow? Am I, am I going to spend ages just really being curious about what your weekend was like before we try and figure out this problem? is going to be really productive if we broaden the definition of productivity beyond just getting things done and on to generating value and transformation for our business. Yeah. 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 And also, also there, you know, just at least just stopping for a moment and asking ourselves this question, like, what, what's my best next move? Uh, what is my goal here? What am I looking to achieve? before we step into a situation, before we start our week, etc. And then, do I do it fast or do I do it slow? Yeah. So what's the pace I'll take to this? What's, you know, what's the intention or the urgency? I think I have it behind me, yeah. Thinking fast and slow. Also, uh, yeah, yeah. It's slightly different, yeah, slightly different meaning on that. But um, because when he talks about thinking slow, he's talking about kind of, deeply rational stuff which is logical which in some respects a well-structured agenda-driven meeting is going to drive whereas when i'm talking about slow i'm talking about wandering around you know exploring being curious to try and uncover patterns or ideas that you wouldn't do if you were just executing the task Diversity, getting getting the maximum out of, out of diverse people in a room. You only really do that, not through a clever agenda, but through deep curiosity. And deep curiosity is never efficient, but it's probably more effective in many cases. Yeah, yeah, indeed. Super, super powerful. I see time has been flying, and that is a very good sign. It means we got into flow and when you're in flow time gets distorted so sometimes an hour can feel like five minutes have we got anywhere near the end of your questions i think i managed uh, to ask one question that was on my list <laughs> um if you need a little longer i'm happy to go a little longer but otherwise you know i'll leave it to you well i um i would love to it's just uh, in seven minutes, I have another podcast scheduled. So I'm going to be ready and setting, uh, sorry, ready and sharp to uh, speak with Neen James, who's uh, also busy with productivity and attention. So I'm curious to see where that conversation goes because uh, we went very deep. And um, well, I think that's what the topic deserves because this is the scarcest resource in the world. Thank you.
we choose what we aim our attention on and yeah. there you are you are showing the world what to think of how to look at this and uh, how to work with this i think it's a real superpower and for everybody listening right now thinking i want to know more of what tony has to say of course your book busy um that's a must for anyone who has ambitions in today's world where can people go online to stay in touch with you yeah probably the easiest is going to the the website which is um tonycrab.com um and that's probably the the best starting place and that's got contact details and it's got you know information on there are you active on social media or do you not focus too much of your attention on that so what I've, i am at times i'm fairly um you know intentional i'm working on a book at the moment so i find i'm not very active at the moment in fact i'm not active at all at the moment um and then once i once i have finished the book i'll then go go back on the social media a little bit and and, and reconnect but at the moment no i'm not really i'm not really there yeah makes sense and well right it's kind of, you know I, I i actually quite quite a fan of of some of the learning that comes out of twitter for me I, I i kind of i follow some interesting people and kind of you know get quite a lot out of that at times but in a, in a limited limited time or whatever i find when i when i'm in the when i'm in the in the zone of writing the book i kind of i get a bit monk like if you like and just focus on that makes a lot of sense tony thank you so much for no, it's a time for having a deep meaningful conversation i very much enjoyed it well and me too uh, apologies if you didn't get through your questions but hey we had a we had a, a a really good conversation you asked me a couple of questions i've never been asked before so i'll, I'll reflect on a bit more ah uh, brilliant <clears throat> I take that as a compliment and my list of questions that is just a plan b just you know just like any any planning i always say my daily planning that is in case i am not inspired because when yeah. i feel inspired inspiration i ride that flow and i'm 10 times more productive than anything i could have thought up in my mind in advance yes no that's true that is true um Okay, so it's been a real pleasure. I hope your next, next podcast goes really well too. Thank you very much. And thank you for sharing. Okay. Have a great day. And the same to you. I hope you enjoyed the interview. I love how this, this was more than just an interview. This was really a meaningful conversation. Just two people sharing perspectives, exchanging thoughts. And I think we both uncovered some, some new ideas. Tony was happy that I asked him some questions that he never got asked before because you can imagine he does tons of interviews and always explaining the same story. Yeah, after a while you're looking for a challenge and that is what gives me the freedom to just be curious, to just ask, to go with the flow and that is what I love doing most. So I hope you had a good time listening to the conversation. I hope you're taking away a couple of things that you can apply in your life immediately. A small experiment or maybe a new habit you want to try out. If you want to stay in touch with Tony Crab, 
go to tonycrab.com. And you heard him, you can also find him on social media, on Twitter. Right now he's a little bit less active, the chances are he's gonna pick it up again when the book he's currently working on is done. That's it for today. I wish you a beautiful day. Enjoy it. I wish you lots of inspiration. Let's all go out, get some work done, and most importantly, let's have some fun. Music